So um, if you guys want to turn on your devices and your Bibles to John 17, verses 13 through 23, that's where we'll be in the Word today. I did want to reference, we'll be pivoting from the Ezra-Nehemiah series because we felt like that was an out-of-season, that we just, we weren't, it wasn't good timing for it, that it was an out-of-season series for us right now. And so we just checked that and just said, um, we think that this is uh, better suited for this season. And um, we're going to be in a couple different things, the Lord's Prayer and honor. Starting with honor, um, and so we're going to be talking about what that means here is a value of the tab and what it looks like to walk in that in this season. And so before we go into the passage, though, I want to give, I want to frame this for you a little bit. So John 17 is the longest prayer recorded uh, by Jesus to the Father. Guys, I encourage you to just, just slow burn in this chapter. Jesus' prayer to the Father, the longest recorded prayer to the Father, and prior to that is what's arguably the best teaching in the world known by some as the Upper Room Discourse, John 13 through 17. I encourage you to just meditate, to just gnaw on John 13 through 17. If the Sermon on the Mount's the best sermon ever given, uh, this may be the best teaching ever given. Uh, but uh, I want to read, just for some context, I couldn't do it justice in a sermon, much less an intro, but I just for some context for Jesus' prayer, I want to to give some passages that will help us see what was he saying leading up to this prayer as he then turned to the Father, right? Um, And so this is the night that Jesus was betrayed. This is the Last Supper. They're in the upper room. And these are some of the things that Jesus said, and it's up on the screen here, before we read the John 17 passage. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. I encourage you to just receive these words right now. To pay attention to what they are saying. Let these words minister to you. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is Jesus talking to his disciples in the upper room. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. But very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I have told you these things so that in my heart you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now if we could, if you're able to stand, can you please stand with me in honor of God's word? And I'd like to read this passage together out loud. Uh, So let's, uh, before we jump into it, this is Jesus first praying for his disciples who are with him and then praying for us, future believers. Let's read out loud together. I am coming to you now, 
But I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Amen. The word of the Lord, you can be seated. In my early 20s, I was in relational conflict with someone, and I forgave them. And I was just like, pat on the back, you know, I did my part, and I was biblical in this, and I thought that was it. And it was shortly after that that the Lord began to reveal some ways that I actually contributed to the conflict. Can you imagine that? That, like, I played a part in, in the problem in our relationship. I couldn't imagine it at the time, and I was um, just taken aback, and I just, I realized at that time that God was inviting me into a deeper sanctifying work. He was revealing things in me that contributed to this, and was saying, would you humble yourself to a process? Would you humble yourself and go to this person and ask for forgiveness for your part to play in this? Um, and actually grow in your relationship with them and grow as a disciple of mine. And so I did that and did find that to be true, that our relationship actually, like when we do that uncomfortable thing when God tells us to, to like to confront um, our own sin or to confront someone else in love, that um, there is breakthrough on the other side of that when we're in mutual submission to one another right? And um, that was such a good experience. And God creates conditions that way, right? But they're, they're conditions created, but then we have to re- receive it. We can receive it or reject it, right? And so unity is getting along and going along together. It's growing in our relationships with one another. It's growing and submitting ourselves to a process to grow in personal purity, right? In, in, in our hearts before the Lord. And it's also being on mission together. That's why I said it's getting along, but it's also going along when we talk about the unity of the spirit, 
It's also going along together. And how we get there in a word is honor. So it begs the question, what is honor? And I want to start by reading our value statement, what we aspire to for being an honoring community. And it's on the screen. Jesus is deeply concerned for the unity of his people, evidenced in their love for one another. For his sake, we cultivate a culture of listening to one another and forgiving one another. We champion and celebrate each other's callings and victories. We submit to each other's leadership. Our culture is a culture of invitation where we experience belonging and all so challenge where we risk to speak the truth to one another. The kingdom moves along relational lines when our lives are linked together for God's purposes. So number one, we call out the best in each other, right? If the calling lab, which we've heard a lot about in the last few months, helps us identify what our calling might be, um, the church celebrates that calling in one another, right? Part of how we learn our calling is through one another, right? Where a friend says, hey, I see this in you. I affirm this in you. And I see victory in your life, or I see who God's made you to be uniquely, and I just want to call this out in you. Can I pray this over you, and so forth? Well, those are the fun ones, right? Uh, the the part where that's invitation, that's saying, um, I see this in you, and championing each other. And also, like, it happens in the context of relationships. It happens in this place where Jesus was the master at this, right? He would invite his disciples closer in in relationship. I love where, you know, Peter and Andrew say, hey, where are you staying? And he goes, come and see. Come and see. Instead of just telling them and letting and letting them decide based on where it is, or and he's just like, like they didn't have to come, but he's inviting them in closer. And so what I am finding is that belongingness, true belongingness is happening among us as Jesus remains our central focus. Because when we are centered around the person of Jesus, we always say Christ-centered as our first value, right? What we have in common is not predicated upon natural things like generations and gender and race and class, but rather God's transformational work in our lives. What we have in common is the gospel at work in our lives. And we can relate to one another on the lines of transformation or Christ-centeredness and the power of his gospel at work in our lives. And that is a belongingness, brothers and sisters, that works for the long haul. That is a belongingness that creates conditions for unity to last. That is a real unity. The unity of the Spirit is a belongingness that's centered around the person of Jesus and his gospel ministry. But we're also a culture here at the gospel tab as a church that what we aspire to is to challenge one another with truth in love as well. And so I shared with you guys a story uh, from the fall when someone did this with me because I was, I was doing a teaching on healthy conflict. And... Um, we uh, bumped up against each other in relational conflict. He called that out in me, um, like some things that he saw. And he was so gentle in the way that he restored 
things, the way that, that he um, confronted me, that it brought this breakthrough. Now, I had a choice when he partnered with the Lord to create conditions for further unity and personal growth. I could have rejected it, right? Um, even though I knew it was true, I could have rejected it. Or I could have received it humbly, and we could have grown and gone on together in greater depth. And that's what we did. And so um, more recently, an example of this would be I went to a friend and just said, like, that, that thing that you said in front uh, of other people, it was undermining to your leadership and beneath your calling. And I just felt like prompted by the Lord. Sometimes the Lord might have you see something and to intercede. Other times he may have you to confront. And guys, whether it's invitation or challenge, I want to say this about honor. It must always be rooted in the, our identity in Christ. My, in other words, my motivation must be who God sees them as and partnering with that. Does that make sense? It's not, a, it's not just merely a behavior thing. You're not looking for faults in people. You're also not looking for excuses to be rude either, right? <laughs> and just say things that you see lack in someone or sin patterns that you see in their lives. No, we're discerning with the Spirit of God and from Scripture. What does it look like to really honor? What it looks like is to dignify a person and love them well enough to sometimes speak truth in love because they're better than that, right? And so it's vital that we're willing to walk in those ways. I mean, whether we were offended or holding something against someone or we see an unhealthy pattern in people's lives, if we're passive, it can very well be a form of partnering with the enemy to perpetuate that. When the Lord showed us something, to pray for the person and or confront them in love. And so, Jesus was a master at this. Jesus was a master at challenge, and he was a master at calling people up in invitation. Because why? It was always rooted in perfect love. For Jesus, it was always rooted in who he saw the person as. You see, the Father, guys, Jesus says this in this high priestly prayer. When he sees us, he sees Jesus. He loves us as he loves Jesus. And Jesus loves us as the Father loves Jesus. And so when he sees you through those perfect eyes of love, oh, he's willing to confront and offend your mind to get to your heart, right? Because it would be unloving not to, you know? Jesus said, I came to sanctify. I sanctified myself that they too may be sanctified. And guys, Jesus is the only one who could sanctify himself. Because Jesus is our sanctifier. And sanctification, guys, means to be set apart to righteousness or to be made more like Jesus through the power of the gospel at work in our lives. This isn't trying harder kind of moralism. This is Jesus transforming us from the inside out. And he said, I came to, I sanctify myself that they too may be sanctified. And he's after complete unity, right? He's saying, I want, Lord, would they be one as we are one, right? 
And so that's the purpose behind his sanctifying work. And if I have a main point today, it's that cultivating honor is receiving Christ's sanctifying work for our personal purity and relational unity. And so if the Godhead, Jesus, Father, and Holy Spirit, that sounded weird because I said it out of order. The Father, the Son. It was still legal, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're the right people. Um, if, if they have perfect unity, and, they're sent, and Jesus is saying, I want them to be one as we're one, it begs the question, how are they one? How are they in perfect harmony of relationship with one another? And as I, like, as I consider this in Scripture and in study and in prayer, uh, I thought about and came across a lot that Jesus is gentle and humble at heart. And then in the Proverbs it says that humility goes before honor. And it also says that humility and the fear of the Lord are rewarded with wealth, honor, and life. In other words, humility leads to honor. Jesus said, I'm gentle and humble at heart. And he said, if you've, he said in this upper room discourse, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the Father is gentle and humble at heart, right? The Holy Spirit is gentle and humble at heart. And I believe perfect honor in their relationship, one with another, is rooted in their character of gentleness and humility. Paul got this when he said to the church in Ephesus, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. At a heart level, Jesus is gentle and humble, and that's what He's after in us by sanctifying us. And not only that, but the Lord says, My gentleness makes you great. My gentleness makes you great. So guys, whether we are being gently sanctified by Jesus or we are gently restoring a brother or sister who's in sin or whether we are forgiving someone for having offended us and legitimately hurting us, we are partnering with God to create conditions to make the other person great or to be, if it's regarding ourselves, to become great. And guys, great, you might think, well, what do you mean to become great? What do you mean by being great? Greatness in the kingdom of God is coming into your gospel identity and capacity for greater capacity for kingdom influence. Let me repeat that. Greatness in the kingdom of God is growing into your gospel identity, who God says you are through transformation, and growing in your capacity for kingdom influence. Influence, In other words, influence in others' lives to advance God's kingdom in and through them. Amen? And so, I say, again, I say creating the conditions. You partner with God to create these conditions because still, ultimately, Holy Spirit's a gentleman and He doesn't make anyone do anything. Father is not a controlling, abusive father. He'll highlight to heal because He loves you perfectly. But you don't have to receive that. In pride, you can reject that and withhold life from yourself that He wants to give you, abundant life, or you can humbly 
receive that and become more like Jesus. Or become, in a word, great. <laughs> um, a few weeks ago, I was ministering to someone who humbled themselves and came for restoration prayer ministry. They saw what was in their family line and, and that was causing havoc in their family. They also were, came to talk about some of the, the issues that were present in their own lives. And Jesus showed up powerfully as deliverer that day. And on the other side of the freedom that that person experienced, the Holy Spirit began to minister to them, and they, they started to straighten up in their chair. And their back became straight, and their head lifted up, and tears began to flow. Guys, this was a picture of them coming into the revelation of their sonship by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a picture of sonship. It's standing tall because you're a loved son of the king. Guys, this is what happens on the other side of humility. It's not arrogance. It's truth. <laughs> it's becoming who he says you are. Wait a minute. I'm a son of the king. I don't have to live beneath my identity according to these lies. And when he got a measure of freedom from that, he was able to come into alignment with truth. And he embodied it in that moment. He was a picture for us this morning of what that looks like. Guys, that's true humility. It's submitting to the Lord to make you great. Well, what does it look like? Um, that's, that is gentleness and humility as Christ's sanctifying work for personal purity and relational unity. But what does it look like when the context is betrayal or accusation? What about when it's like really bad and really hard, really ugly? Jesus modeled this and taught this perfectly too, didn't he? Jesus was accused by his enemies, right? They said he had a demon at one point. They were jealous of him and were always looking for ways. They had problems with him for doing these things on the Sabbath. Anyway, this night that he prays this prayer to the Father, he would be arrested and falsely accused in a, during a court hearing at night. It was illegal to have it at that time of day. They said all these things about him. None of them were even remotely true. They, they, there was not even, like it was, they weren't even good at it. That was supposed to be funny. But uh, <laughs> Ava's like, dad, dad joke. Um, so, but they weren't, yeah, they weren't even good at it. And yet, uh, what does Jesus do in response? He says nothing. He says nothing. Why does he say nothing? Because he trusts in the Father's vindication of him. He trusts in the Father's vindication, even if it wouldn't come until only after death, right? He never vindicated him, that side of life for Jesus. And yet, he remained steadfast, rooted in what was truth in the Father's love. What about betrayal? Guys, betrayal didn't come from his enemies. Betrayal came from his friends. He said in this upper room discourse, you all are going to leave me. He prophesied, you all are going to leave me. 
but I won't be alone because my father's with me. Judas betrayed him, right? Peter, one of his closest three, denied him, thereby betraying him, right? Now, Judas didn't repent, and Peter did. Peter humbled himself, and Judas didn't. Judas believed lies that led to his demise, but Peter repented. There's that, what will you do in these conditions even after you mess up, right? But Jesus was so deeply rooted in this time, or should I say, he was so low in humility. He was so low in humility, submitted to the Father's will in that hour, that he was able to withstand the raging storm of Satan and not be uprooted. He knew he was approved and understood by his Father. He didn't need people to understand him. Guys, that's a deep place in Christ. That's a humble place in Jesus for us. Guys, this is our inheritance. When storms come, we have this place in our standing with the Father whereby we are approved and whereby we are understood by Him. We don't have, easier said than done, but we don't have to be understood by other people. We don't have to be in the midst of betrayal, false accusation. The Lord has you. Jake saying about it in that valley. The Lord has you just the same as He has you on that mountaintop. Some of you have been falsely accused in life. Some of you have been badly betrayed. And I'm sorry for that. That's not okay. And I want to share a couple stories as I close because this is so important for us to walk in forgiveness and healing rather than be hamstringed and ravaged by the lies of the enemy and the wounds from friends and enemies. I have a friend who years ago planted a church in Georgia. And when he planted that church, he had a team who was helping him build and establish the kingdom there uh, in that area. And he had found, come into knowledge that his friend across town was recruiting one of his team members, a highly gifted leader. Uh, he was recruiting him, and he hadn't talked to him about it. He was just trying to get him to come to his ministry. And, you know, after my friend worked through the hurt of that experience, through forgiveness and healing and that journey, the Lord called him lower still and said, I want you to serve him. I want you to serve the ministry who just tried to take from you. And, you know, you might think, well, was that God's voice? You know, and I think as he discerned that, he came to the conclusion that Jesus is still serving us today. And people are, we're falling short of Jesus all the time. The Bible says he lives to intercede for us. And so he said, I came to serve, not to be served. So he obeyed him. And guys, I want you to know that over 20 years later, he's still serving with him. They're close friends. 
And the gospel, the impact of the kingdom of God has grown exponentially around the world through their ministry together. And I believe in part it's because of the decision he made in the secret place. The decision he made to say, Lord, I will go where you tell me to go. And in that decision, the kingdom broke out through that all around the world. The church is being revived and the lost are being saved through that ministry. Um, There's a pastor in Kansas City and he had a dream. Uh, His name's Mike. And he had a dream that uh, he would be betrayed by a friend about 40 minutes across town and um, that this would go on for some time. That he would be falsely accused by him specifically. And the Lord gave him this warning, and with it he said, you don't say anything in response, but you bless him. You bless him, you bless him, you bless him. So he warned him in his love for Mike, right? Sure enough, this breaks out. A huge document's written about Mike. It's in all these major Christian magazines. This is like 30 years ago. Uh, he, was a, he was a well-known minister, and so, uh, you know, all this stuff was uh, being reported about him. He would be at conferences speaking and at Q&A sessions. People would ask him about this situation, and Mike would just, no comment, you know, and just bless, 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 and just obey the Lord's voice. You don't say anything about him. At one point, uh, the man who accused him, uh, a leak got to Mike about a scandal that that man indeed was involved in. The Lord said, you don't say anything. Just keep blessing him. You bless him. And here's two things that the Lord taught Mike in that season. He internalized Matthew 5.44, if you can put that on the screen. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Look at that identifying with the Father. That you may here's a sign of your of you as a child of God. You love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Because look at what God is like. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So, three years this goes on. Three years of it just being really public and, you know, Mike just remaining faithful. And he goes out to eat one day at a restaurant. He's with his friends and, and uh, his friend, uh, this woman, she begins to prophesy to him. She does not know this story. And she says, hey, she said, there's a conflict that you're in. And she said, it will be reconciled. You will reconcile today. And she said, also... She said, because you didn't harm the Lord's anointed, she said, your ministry will forever change. She said, because you didn't do that thing in obedience to the Lord, your ministry is going to explode with international influence. And he just like wept. (laughs) And, oh, hey, I didn't say the second thing. The other thing that the Lord showed him, uh, before I finish up the story, the other thing the Lord showed him was that God is ravished with love for the, his accuser. He said, I'm ravished with love for your accuser as, or the, you know, by name, uh, as I am for you. And so he, inter- he was internalizing these two themes, that God is ravished with love for this person who is wronging you, and, he's, and he 
is, was internalizing love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Well, anyway, so he's weeping at this diner. Guys, minutes later, this man walks into the diner. He lives 40 minutes away and came and ate lunch at this diner by himself. And Mike went up to him and he put his hand on his shoulder and he said, I bless you. I bless you. I bless you. Can you imagine three years of cultivation of being sanctified for Mike, right? Three years of being sanctified and out from his innermost womb now. He's saying, this is not just a ritual, guys. Like, I bless you because that's what I'm supposed to do right now because it's the end of the church service and I'm the pastor and I'm standing up here. This is deep from his innermost being. I bless you. It's what he believed with all his heart. (laughs) And this man broke and they went into a restoration process and a reconciliation and they reconciled and they're close friends again today. Sometimes it doesn't end with reconciliation because reconciliation is a two-way street, right? I understand that. But what a picture of the kingdom of the personal purity that God was cultivating in Mike to become like Jesus and of the relational unity that was only possible because Mike submitted to that process. Amen. Jake, if you can come and play. Thanks, man. I have a friend who says that the Lord is using the enemy as a spade in his hand to dig deep wells of anointing in you. <laughs> he said the Lord is using the enemy as a spade to deep dig or deep wells of anointing in you. It lends new meaning, right? To the Lord is working all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He says, I'm working good in the stuff I'm doing in your life because I'm good and all I can do is work and sow good into you. And he says, and even the things that aren't my will that the enemy tries to sow, oh, I'm going to use that too. And he's going to wish that he never touched my anointed. You know who's anointed? You and me who are in Jesus Christ because he's the anointed one and we're under his anointing. Amen? That... The enemy is going to be sorry. This is, this is age old, right, brothers and sisters? <laughs> Look at the cross. The enemy thought he had his way. And the Lord used that. And it's why we're all here today in this place with hope, with love, with truth, with the Spirit of God, the glory of God indwelling us right now. Jesus said, I give them my word in this passage. He says, I give them my glory that they would be one as we are one. Brothers and sisters, let's yield ourselves to Jesus' sanctifying work even in the worst of circumstances because He is good. Because He is good sanctifier. He is able to do far more immeasurably than what we can imagine, the Bible says, according to the power at work within us. 
I believe that the Lord Jesus is saying for our house and our church family. You will walk in unity through honor and honor through my sanctification. You will walk in who I say you are, a culture, a kingdom of beloved sons and daughters, holy, blameless, and without accusation. You will double down on God's narrative in the face of trials, not the enemy's accusations, thus becoming your more true self. And I believe that the Lord is saying specifically as well that we will be a prophetic sign to the nations of His generosity toward us, and we will give generously in response. Amen.